0: Welcome back to a brand new series of Not Too Busy to Write. It's February 2024, which means the podcast is officially three years old. I have been lucky enough to have over 70 conversations so far with authors of all kinds, debuts, bestsellers, literary fiction, romance, crime, memoir, as well as nonfiction, and I have learned so much along the way about what it means to be not too busy to write and this series is no exception. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. I'm Penny Winsor, author and book coach. If you enjoy the podcast and want to continue the conversation, you can head on over to Not Too Busy to Write on Substack and you can find that at pennywinsor.substack.com and the link is in the show notes as well. Now on to today's episode. My first guest of the series is Jessica Bull, debut author of Miss Austin Investigates, a crime novel starring one of our favorite real-life heroines, Jane Austen. Jessica is a communications consultant, former librarian, and self-confessed Jane Austen lover. And in this episode, we dive into what it's like to blend fact with fiction, what instigated the ingenious idea to turn sharp-eyed, sharp-witted Jane Austen into an amateur sleuth, and the kind of research involved in recreating late Georgian England for a contemporary reader. We, of course, also discussed our favourite adaptations of Austen. How could we not? Um, Miss Austen Investigates is out now and it's a complete delight. Enjoy the episode. Jessica, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello, Penny. Thank you so much for having me.
0: It's such a pleasure to have you here. Um, I have got a copy of Miss Austin Investigates right in front of me. I enjoyed it so much. It was such a pleasure. I'm so excited we get to chat about it. Um, Thank you so much. First of all, can you give the listeners a little bit of an intro into what um, what the novel is about?
1: Absolutely. So it's a murder mystery starring a young Jane Austen. So Jane is only 19 and she's at a ball at a grand house and she's trying to have a bit of a romance with um, a very charming young man called Tom Lafroy when the body of a milliner is found bludgeoned to death. Um, So that kills the mood immediately and <laughs> Jane wants to go and solve the crime firstly because she knew them in the milliner she bought a bonnet from her um, and then secondly when one of her brothers Georgie is arrested in
0: connection with the crime she has to find the true culprit otherwise Georgie will be hanged. It is such a fun and gorgeous story and I have to I have to begin with this um blending fact and fiction is such a huge challenge um I have to ask why did you decide to make your life so difficult and to blend that (laughs) and fiction? What was it that made you decide to um, take a character that is already really well known and loved um, and weave her into a fictional story? Well, I think for me, it was kind of the other way around.
1: So, what happened first was the Jane Austen obsession. Mm -hmm. So, I've been yeah, obsessed with Austen, I'd say, since um, since Pride and Prejudice came out in 1995. That was my first introduction to Jane mm-hmm. Austen, like a lot of Janeites. And I just really, really loved it. And I went away and read Northanger Abbey and she just really spoke to me, especially that part in Northanger Abbey when she gives her defence of the novel and her defence mm. of female writers. I was doing my A-levels at the time, I think I was about 17, and I just thought, like, who is this woman who's reaching through 200 years of history to speak like straight to? my heart and so it grew from there really and I just very casually watched every adaptation read every book read every biography um, and then when Covid hit I really like a lot of families we really struggled with that and I needed something to bring me joy and like comfort during that really difficult time and I really lent into my Jane Austen obsession mm-hmm. um, and you know looked up podcasts and, and found out even more about her life and then at the same time I started writing again to stop myself from going mad and, and fill my brain and then not about her initially and then the two kind of converged together because I just thought that jane austen her life was so inspiring and she was such a resilient woman and she didn't have it easy at all her path to publication wasn't easy at all um although we sometimes conflate her with her Characters and think that she led a really charmed life. She had to contend with losing her home and ill health and all these difficulties that she just worked through to bring us her masterpieces. So I wanted to write a story about her that would celebrate that resilience and maybe inspire others. But I didn't want to write like a a serious biography. So Mm -hmm. I was thinking like, how can I do this in a way that's going to be fun and it's going to be a tribute to her novels, but that's also going to be in my own way. Um, And I was writing a historical mystery at the time that was kind of blending all the things together, like romance and mystery and trying to do too many things. And then I started this as my little fun side project, really, to just make myself laugh and um yeah to celebrate Austen so it was more of a case in that I needed a way to share all my thoughts and feelings about Jane Austen rather than I decided to write it and then did the research.
0: Oh I love that because you really feel the fun when you're reading it like as a reader you really feel that this is something that you really really haven't enjoyed immensely writing. Um, I, I love reading a book that I know at A writer has has thoroughly enjoyed the process of and it's been a side project well I think probably some of the best books have been started off as side projects yeah I think this is no pressure and I just let myself be
1: as silly and like as wild and as possible and just really lean in to all the facts so all the characters and all the things that happen are there is some kind of grain of truth in every mm. bit and everything that happens, and I just let myself get as nerdy as possible.
0: Yeah, and so Jane Austen awesome was a prolific letter writer. Um, and although I know probably quite a lot of her letters were destroyed during her lifetime, she did leave quite a lot behind about her everyday life, didn't she? She um, did. And is is that where a lot of your research came from? from yeah, the, um, the letters. From the letters. Were my Bible, really. Mm. Yeah,
1: yeah. So we estimate that she wrote about three thousand letters during her mm. life, but we've only got one hundred and sixty-one precious little nuggets of gold and really I carried those letters around like my little bible from room to room you know what it's like when you're writing and you just like you have your cup of tea and your laptop and you know, really special things and that book the Deirdre Le Fay collection of letters really was the foundation of the book I couldn't have written the book without that there were a lot of others a lot of biographies and literary criticism that fell into it but the letters were where I turned to to find the real Austin yeah because I wanted to catch her at her most unguarded and mm-hmm. And obviously those letters are really personal they're from her to her sister Cassandra the vast majority of them are and they were so personal that Cassandra after Jane died and as she was approaching the end of her life took the decision to burn most of them in Order to protect Jane's reputation, and when you look at what happened to other writers of the time, like Mary Wollstonecraft, the way that they were vilified after they died, you can kind of understand that. For me, I think I feel like it's like making a pact with your sister to like burn all your WhatsApp messages, yes, <laughs> those are not safe for readers, but obviously. To us now, they are just a wonderful resource of who she really was and how she really felt about the world and how her world worked. All the everyday details of her life are just beautifully captured.
0: And I wanted to ask you as well about the time in which you have set this particular story. It is a very specific time in her life. She's young. Her sister is still engaged. We know that that marriage sadly never happens. But at the time, and that's actually one of the interesting things about reading about Jane in this period of time, that she has so her life and her sister's life is about to be upended completely yeah. and then they're, they're not aware of it yet. Um yeah. but so talk talk me through it she's also obviously going through a romance which we know did happen. It you yeah. know to a certain degree we know it happened. Yeah. Um so tell me about why this story and I know there are going to be more stories in the future but why this story at this time.
1: So when I was thinking about writing this in order to There's so much I want to say about Jane Austen. So in order to make one novel kind of manageable, what I decided to do was to really, really zone in on one period of her life. And what the other thing is that I feel what I'm writing against is this image of Jane Austen as this sad, lonely, old spinster, right? She was 41 when she died. She never even got the chance to grow old. And she never married, But her life was full of love. There were so many relationships that were so important to her and that had brought her so much joy. And there were a lot of flirtations and a lot of men who wanted to marry Jane Austen. So I really wanted to explore that. And it's so big that I thought that the best way to do it was to really, really hone in on this first novel on one particular moment, on a a few of those really, really important relationships. So this one looks at what happened with Tom Lefroy. It looks at Henry. It brings Georgie in. Cassandra is not even in it. And we know that was the most important relationship Mm. of Jane Austen's life. Cassandra's barely in it. There's the letters to Cassandra to bring that through. So yeah, I wanted to ring fence like that time, and set a story that just explored that very first moment. And it's they're all based, the story was all inspired by those first two or three letters that we have from Jane Austen that start when she's 19. I mean, the reason why Tom LeFroy is so big in her story is because the first letter that we have from her, she can't stop talking about her flirtation <laughs> with him and bragging about it to Cassandra. Um, so this first image we have of her as a as a teenage girl
0: mm. is like
1: that romance. And if you look at those, these first letters actually she's she's talking about a ball at Dean House, um, which was um owned by the Harwood rather than the Harcourt family. And it's all it's all kind of like letting myself get lost in that in that moment and imagine what it was like and then set this murder mystery there but trying to keep everything else as true as possible as to what really happens
0: well that's I'd love to talk about that about about what is fact and what is fiction I assumed when I was reading it that some of the side characters obviously the the murder victim for instance is going to be fictional but I would love to know in terms of this the 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 world around Jane, I assume almost all of it is entirely real. And then it's just a few characters and obviously imagined scenes going in yeah. there. is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's what I've tried to do as, as much as possible. So yeah, the murder victim is fictional. Um, but the family... Oh, I have to be really careful of spoilers. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> um, so, yeah the, the takes in, takes place, yeah. the place where the murder takes place. The place where the murder takes place is, is right. based on a real place. It is based on a real yeah. place. I changed it slightly because it's actually like Georgian in architecture. And this book is very much my tribute to Northanger Abbey. So, I made it really yeah. gothic, like something that Catherine Morland would approve of. Um, and when I was – the story is very much inspired by the real stories. So, whenever I was trying to, like – help Jane solve the mystery I was thinking what are the things that Jane Austen does so she goes shopping in Basingstoke she goes to balls in Basingstoke and at her neighbor's houses um, she goes to the library so when she does um, all those things I try to look at her letters and see okay who are the real people that she interacted with so the librarian for example is a great is a, is yeah. a great um example of this so she Mrs Martin was a real librarian with a real circulating library in Basingstoke, and we have this really funny letter from Jane where she's telling Cassandra that she's signed, her, she's given her name up to the subscription list for the library, or rather Cassandra's name because they're both Miss Austen's um, and um, also Mary, her kind of frenemy who becomes her sister-in-law also subscribes, although Jane hardly expected it and that's like typical Jane Austen snark there and it's just so wonderful and she's, she's using this letter to tell us that you know her her novel, her family are great novel readers, they're not ashamed of it although Mrs Martin has had to tell everybody else that they're going to carry more than novels in order to get them to sign up but yeah, yeah. So every, every character every little story, the shoots are based on a real couple but then just exaggerating them um, all of her brothers and sisters are obviously real and the way that they interacted with each other was real Eliza de Filete who's her, her wonderful glamour Cousin who was kind of brought out in France and is affected by all these French flirtations and is really worldly, was like born in India. It, it's all real.
0: Yeah, I loved Eliza. I found her just such a fun character. And what one of the great pleasures of reading this, um, and I'm sure one of the great pleasures of writing it, was being able to see little nuggets of what Jane might have taken from her real life and put into her novels. And obviously. It really, I really did feel that tribute to Northanger Abbey. But there's even all these other little Easter eggs, almost of yeah. um, glimpses of of what we can see will go on to be inspiration for Jane for her the books, including her cousin Eliza, who,
1: yeah.
0: um, who I recognise from I think Persuasion. She there's a there's a is there a is there a is it in Persuasion that there's a character whose um, whose husband was killed in the French Revolution. And I can't remember, but there's all these little kind of nuggets that you see. Yeah, yeah, that you're like, oh, I can see how she's drawn all these little bits from her own life and her own experience and sort of. She sometimes gets accused of using um, Eliza as the inspiration for Mary Crawford. It's like a really divisive character.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So so, so obviously, Mary Crawford is so. pragmatic about marriage and Eliza yeah. definitely was. Um, yeah. There's a great letter from Eliza where she's talking about her husband, the Frenchman, is in love with her, but she doesn't love him. Um and that, you know, she holds she holds her liberty um and her flirtation dearer than than her husband or marriage. Um, so yeah, and Eliza real Eliza played the harp just like Mary Crawford in, in Mansfield Park. Yeah. So some people say that she based that she was the inspiration for her. But then Eliza, when at the time that Jane Austen was writing um, Mansfield Park, Eliza was dying and they oh, were really wow. close and that Jane Austen was actually with Eliza when she died.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's like, it's would she base this morally ambiguous well, figure really on her? Or maybe it was or? done with affection, potentially. You see, I think Mary Crawford's a wonderful character. And every time I read Mansfield Park, up until about halfway through, I'm convinced she's the heroine. So yeah.
0: yeah, I think it's probably yeah. a grade of truth. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And um and it's really what's really interesting, I think, in terms of setting a murder mystery in this time and with a female protagonist, um, is obviously, you know, women's lives are so restricted in this time. And and in the novel, Jane has to work within a huge amount of curtails on her freedom in order to investigate um but also there are some advantages to to her investigating as well because um people have very low expectations of her um, Mm -hmm. but also she's able to speak to and get into places that that nobody else would necessarily bother going to um because it's considered feminine but the thing so that's a it was a that must have been really challenging to in order to kind of lay clues for the mystery based on what jane could actually access um your use of the lending library i thought was particularly genius and brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> um but um but on top of that during the novel jane is really grappling with her freedom and what she wanted, what's what she wants for her own life. As you said, there's um there is a great flirtation happening with um Tom LaFroy at the moment at that moment of the book. Um and even um as that's happening, even though she's very swept away with it, she is also starting to confront this idea of well, do I really want to be married? What am I going to have to give up? Am I going to have to give up writing? She was already writing just for the family at this point. Yeah. Um that seems like it was probably a really important part of the story, this idea, like you said, that, you know, she was not a sad old spinster. She had Mm -hmm. choices. She could have been married if she wanted to, but chose Mm -hmm. not to. Um, What was it like sort of teasing all of that out in, in the novel?
1: So I think that was my
0: main aim
1: when I started this. Like the reason I made it a murder mystery
0: is because
1: I could show how brilliantly, intuitive about human psychology she was Mm -hmm. um, and how observant she was and how in control she was because there's something that happens at the very end of the book with Tom LaFroy that I know never happened with Tom LaFroy but was a kind of allegory for how she lived her life Mm -hmm. because she had many offers of marriage like we know about five men who um, asked her to marry them And she did turn them down. And I believe that she did that to maintain her independence and especially Mm. to write because it was so important to her. I mean, she turned out, as you just said, like she turned out stories all throughout her childhood, all throughout her early teens. By the time she was 23, she'd written the first drafts of Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice and Northanger Abbey, so in really early form, but they were there at 23. Mm. Can you imagine? What an yeah. overachiever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it was important to me to show that she was in control yeah. of her life and to have like an enormous amount of fun showing how difficult that must have been for her and the kind of restrictions that were placed on women at the time. So there's a scene where... Just a good example, there's a scene where Jane wants to watch the funeral of the murder victim um, because to give, see if there's any clues of, of who's coming to this funeral. Um, and at that time, women didn't attend funerals because funerals are public events and women exist in the private sphere. So Mm -hmm. women would do things like wash the body and prepare it and then men would do the service. So Jane is so constricted by these expectations of her society. She hides in a yew tree in the graveyard of um, St Nicholas church, which was her father's church. And that tree really exists. And her father used to hide the key in it. And I went to Stevenson over the summer and I climbed in the tree and it all checked out. But it was, (laughs) that whole scene was inspired by one of the few letters that we have from Cassandra is when Jane dies. Cassandra's last view of her is watching her brothers carry her coffin along the street in Winchester because Cassandra couldn't or, or didn't go to mm-hmm. Jane's funeral and it's one of those things that we just take for granted being able to live our lives and go where we want and enter these spaces and women in that period were so curtailed by the ex- well, women of that period of her class were so yeah. curtailed by the expectations around them um that makes for a really interesting dynamic
0: when you're Mm. trying to solve a murder. Really, really interesting. Even just the fact that there's so little privacy for women in Mm -hmm. public, you know, having to be escorted by a male relative Mm -hmm. um, to go into Basingstoke, for instance, Mm -hmm. and having to kind of make up excuses of going to an apothecary for (laughs) women's problems in (laughs) order to get rid of your brother.
1: (laughs) I mean, women
0: would have had to have been very, very clever in order to get any kind of privacy at all
1: yeah
0: yeah and I think they were you you can kind of tell through the letters that there were there was a secret world of women
1: and (laughs) she's so good at exploring that in her books and think about sense and sensibility with this whole community of women where they're kind of like passing messages to each other and there's this whole kind of secret network this world of women and and their lives and what goes on between them Mm. that isn't reflected in um the kind of the more masculine kind of literature of the day. Yeah. And we don't get that. And that's why her work is so special and so important and still resonates with us today, I think, because we still do it to a certain extent, don't we? There's all these things that women talk about that men, you know, don't. And you know, there's all these kind of, you know, reasons that that we give to give ourselves a bit of a break, a bit of space.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's and now you've mentioned the U tree. Let's talk a little bit more about some of the research that you did. I know obviously you you were very reliant on the letters and they were a big inspiration, but also did you go and physically do anything to really understand um that that whole late Georgian um Regency era in terms of what life would have felt like? Um So I did lots I did lots of things
1: over over a long period of time that all added up to being able to write the book. So another reason why her novels have have leamed so large in my imagination was that when I was about 19, um, I, through kind of like some some like non-planned circumstances I took a few months out of university and I wanted to make those months important and and worthwhile so I took a job um volunteering at a school for disabled kids in Hampshire which was just down the road from Chawton where where she spent the last few years of her life yeah and I grew up in central London this was the first time I'd ever like spent a prolonged time in the countryside and it was a huge culture shock for me um just being in the the countryside and observing it and just going for walks in the countryside. And it was the late nineties. There was no internet. There was only one bus. The only thing I could do was read and I was just reading her works for the first time or the one bus went to Alton where I could walk to Jane Austen's house um, or I could go to Winchester where she's buried. So that was really like cemented the whole scene and the location and the beauty, but also that sense of being, A little bit cut off from the rest of the world in Hampshire on my mind. Um, And then, yeah, as I got kind of closer to writing it, I was really interested in just like stepping into her world and doing all these things that she might have done. So, and i went all in so i've i keep hens i've got i've got some backyard chickens as jayson's yeah. mom did and as her heroines do as well like quite a lot of their happiness is when they get a house and they've got a little hen house so that yeah. i think um and then it does that in sense and sensibility. Yeah, say, it's one of and sensibility yeah. yay, it's one of charlotte's like you know consolations for marrying mr collins in <laughs> she's very happy with her poultry yard um i learnt how to ride a horse that didn't go so well um, I found out it's a bit difficult to learn how to ride a horse in your early 40s um, and <laughs> some of that is, some of my trepidation around that might have fed through to the plot um, and then much more enjoyable was I got my old sewing machine out and I ran up some Regency inspired costumes oh, and amazing. I attended the lots of the balls and events that held in Jane Austen's honour around the country and my very obliging husbands came with me and learned how to regency dance as well oh my
0: gosh that's it, amazing. it was
1: really fun it was really really fun and it it just it helped me understand things in a, in a completely different way yeah. and it was also just a real part of finding some joy and some
0: happiness and some fun mm.
1: in my life after the pandemic
0: oh it's that's so wonderful and I love as well that um that you made some of the clothes, I think we underestimate how much things like clothing and how many layers there were and how you could move with them can really affect your day-to-day life. Yeah. But there's a moment where you mention um, I can't remember the name of them, the shoes, the overshoes that you wear outdoors over oh, your regular shoes, the pattern. Yeah. And um and the fact that, you know, um, thank goodness Jane was saying, oh, thank goodness I didn't wear them, even though I'm getting money because actually yeah. I can't walk very fast in them. Yeah. And so I went and Googled what they look like and I couldn't <laughs> believe it. I mean, they're really ridiculous it's like wearing stilts and I was thinking well you know I can totally see why she would never want to wear it. Ridiculous. <laughs> but at the same time it would have been without without paving it would have yeah. been so muddy all the time yeah. and also lots of horse poo everywhere yeah. so um I can can see why they wore them yeah uh, it makes sense but I mean they would have been impossible to go yeah. fast in
1: Yeah, and she did, she she and her sister did. There's lots of letters where they're talking about their patterns and lots of letters where Jane's complaining that the roads are really dirty. That's that's, Instead of boggy, that's what she says. Really dirty. Everything's (laughs) really dirty today.
0: But it's so, I loved as well that... talking about the laundry and how jane was saying she keeps cassandra's away uh, yeah she's borrowing her dresses because cassandra yeah. keeps her dresses nice. than she does <laughs> but um but the way i even just stuff like the way the reason her blue dress has faded is because she's made some spills and then they have to use lemon juice and sunlight to get the stains yeah. out but of course that fades the blue color yeah. it just those tiny little details that don't take they're just a sentence here or there they just Color the whole world in such a beautiful way. So I love, I love the way that clothes, things like clothing, can really add that to, um, to a novel in the sense of really understanding their whole world from yeah. what they're literally putting on their bodies as well. So what I, what I tried to do was to make sure that every time I
1: mentioned any kind of little detail like that, so like a particular lane or a particular dress or a particular kind of um, color or what they're eating was to make sure that I base that on what she talked about in the letters. So the blue dress is like really real. They really, they used to um, buy a bolt of cloth and because cloth was really expensive, um, what they would do is when they saw like a cloth that was a beautiful like color or texture and if it was going for a bargain price, she and Cassandra would buy enough make two dresses because why Mm -hmm. wouldn't you so that's how they end up with all these like kind of slightly matching outfits yeah because you know if, if oh, Jane saw the yeah. blue cloth she'd buy enough for Cassandra and if Cassandra saw it she'd buy enough to make Jane a dress as well and they'd kind of save money that way as well um, and there's another really beautiful book that I It's called Martha Lloyd's housekeeping book and Martha he was a friend she's Mary's sister who lived with um Jane and Cassandra and their mum when they were older in Chawton mm. and she kept this recipe book and it's kind of more than recipes there's lots of medicines and like right. household cleaning stuff in there as well um and it's just a wonderful inspiration and there's, there's even a poem that Jane had written to Martha in this housekeeping book so yeah. yeah all of those little details whenever I was putting them in I'd try and find some kind of precedent for them in her real life
0: and so, would would Jane and Cassandra have sewn all their own clothes um, themselves, no, I, or were no, they, they it not? They sewed a lot. They
1: they did a lot of sewing, and uh, the things that they would, would particularly sew were shirts. So she, there's, there's letters where she talks it, about sewing. Yeah, Jane's and, and shirts. There is,
0: yeah there is mention yeah. of that in the novel too. So that made me <laughs> think. I wonder if she's sewn all her own dresses, or but not necessarily. Uh, no, not all of them, and
1: especially as they got like a bit more wealthy. As they were older, like so so when they were younger, times were a lot harder um, and they did say things. And there's this wonderful surviving suit that Mrs. Austin got married in her riding habit is also in the novel. Um, somebody else does that. <laughs> yeah. So she got married in this wonderful scarlet riding habit because she was a very practical woman and then got straight on her horse and rode off to Hampshire with her new husband. Um, and then a few years later, one of Jane's brothers, Frank, was particularly athletic and she cut that riding habit down and made him the most gorgeous miniature scarlet riding suit. Um, which shows you what like incredible yeah. needlewomen they were. And they did sew a lot. And they, she was a real craftswoman, Jane Austen. She's, there's, we've still got a shawl that's said to be embroidered by her and a quilt that um, Mrs. Austen and Jane and Cassandra made together. So she did sew a lot, but as they got a bit more wealthy, they would buy the cloth, they would... Get a dressmaker to make it, mm-hmm. um, and then when they got it, the, the dress home, they'd make like little alterations to it to make yeah. it fit better. So yeah, yeah, it's a bit of bit of um bit of both really as they as they go on. Um,
0: so I would love to talk with you a bit about how the book deal came about. Yes. Um, the book deal is for a series. Am I correct? It is. It is. So yes. um, I mean, I really want to I really want to dig into this because I would love to know um, when this book went out and there was a possibility of selling it as a series. Um, how much did you know about what you want to write the next the next few books on? Um, I'd already started it, <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> so, so that was that was a part of making it because I think you know when you sit down to write like a novel, and it was a mistake that I'd made with previous novels that I tried to put too much into one novel. So part of making it manageable for me was planning out a series of novels and thinking like, this is, this is the period that I want to cover. And it's, you know, from this period where Jane's about 19 and she's, um, her letters start and she's starting, I think she's actually um, drafted Pride and Prejudice by this point and working on that, um, that, I wanted to cover that until the moment that she gets her book deal. So it's those years where she Mm -hmm. really, really struggled. And she was forced to move out of her childhood home and then forced to rely on the hospitality of others for a good few years. And then, you know, moves to Bath and her father dies and things are really, really hard. And she, her productivity stalls a little bit. Although I think what she was doing was starting projects that didn't, go anywhere because they became too painful so the watsons for example where she started and it was about a a a woman whose father had died placing her like in a precarious situation and then jane's own father dies so that then becomes too difficult for her to write and then she's Spending these years like living with her wealthy brother Neddy or going to like other brothers and she's being relied on to provide free childcare. Um mm-hmm. and she's not got the privacy. And, you know, she's probably suffering from depression as well. Um, and then finally she makes it, she makes it to Chawton and she sits down and mm-hmm. she has some success. And, and those years are also peppered with literary rejections as well where she sells the first version of Northanger Abbey and then the the, I mean we think publishing works slow now but she sells the first version of of Northanger Abbey in 1803 and the publisher advertised it as forthcoming and then sat on it for six years (gasps) never printed it never printed oh, it and she got God. so frustrated she writes them this letter and um, where she's really angry and she signs herself mrs Ashton dennis so that she can put the initials mad i am says <laughs> mad um yeah i know but like then it comes good and she pulls it back and after she published pride and prejudice she bought susan back for 10 pounds she bought the copyright back for 10 pounds and then afterwards told that publisher that she was the authoress of Pride and Prejudice. So yeah, Jane Queen. So I wanted to kind of tell this story of how difficult it was and how she'd fought and and the resilience Mm. that she had. So I kind of mapped out the major relationships that I would cover, the major points in her life that I would cover. Mm. And then that kind of reassured me I didn't have to do everything in this first one. And I could just really, really zone in on it. So the first one, is her life in Steventon and then the second one which I'd already started like planned out and started writing is set in Kent and it's about when she goes to visit her brother Neddy and is introduced suddenly to this world of like huge houses and balls and privilege and it was actually after she'd visited Neddy for the first time and she'd visited... So he married um, Elizabeth Bridges from the Bridges family who, who were baronets and lived in um in Kent. And it was after she'd done been there for the first time that she started writing Pride and Prejudice in 1796. So you can see that world had a massive influence on her imagination. And you yeah. can also understand, because Nettie was adopted by their wealthy cousins, yeah. and given this privileged life, you can understand how Jane going into that might have felt like a bit of an outsider, and how that might have shaped her writing, and, and how, she, how she brings this world to us that's so attuned to the differences in class and expectations yeah. for those people
0: oh I'm excited to get the next one which <laughs> means and I um and is it going to be one a year for the next four years or it's going to be every two, um, so two big deal mm-hmm. um so it's definitely one a year for this year and next year yes and excellent. then lastly.
1: great but yeah oh, hopefully fantastic. I've got a lot I want to say <laughs>
0: fantastic oh it's so exciting um it's, it's so exciting, this idea of, of mapping ahead as well. And it's really interesting because when I work with nonfiction writers, I'm mm-hmm. often telling them the same. I think when you're an expert in an area, it's so tempting to cram yeah. everything in, but you have to really resist that urge because, um, you know, uh, yeah, you, you can't fit everything in one book. You just can't, no, it's not possible. No, um, no. and especially, you know, somebody like Jane and, um, the complexities and all of the wonderful ups and downs of her life you just Mm -hmm. you can't address it all in one book can you
1: no no and I I wanted her character arc as well to like give myself that she doesn't have to because she's very young and naive in this book and she's very much like yeah inspired by Catherine Moreland yeah it's just just brilliant I mean you know, Northanger Abbey is a kind of mystery, and Catherine Morland even gets so carried away that she accuses her crush's father of murdering his wife. So yes. it's just perfect, <laughs> it's
0: perfect, perfect inspiration. And you know what? Um I um as soon as I finished reading the, the novel, I immediately downloaded an audio version of Northanger Abbey. Yeah. Um, because I just wanted to. I had been. A, it's been a while since I've read it, and um, and I'm I downloaded it immediately, and it was so pleasurable to listen to after I had just read your novel. Because I was just <laughs> like, oh my gosh, yes, <laughs> this is uh, in in your novel, it's very much Jane's um, Catherine Catherine um, Norland Morland phase, isn't it? Absolutely, it's very like absolutely. she's getting very swept away with the Gothic, which I absolutely, absolutely love. <laughs> absolutely. So, do you think going forward? you know, each of the books will have a kind of um, an affinity to one of her books. Absolutely. absolutely. yeah. So the next one is very much inspired by Sense and Sensibility.
1: So, yeah, she's she's in Kent and Cassandra's life has been upended by the death of her fiancé and Jane's trying to hold it all together while Cassandra's falling apart back Mm. in Hampshire. And then she's also like with her brother and her sister-in-law who she didn't really get along with. Very well, um, and Neddy's adopted mother has taken in this young woman who's claiming to be a shipwrecked foreign princess, um, and Jane has to investigate that because you know, potentially she could um, steal the inheritance that all of the Austens have come to rely on. So Neddy's yeah. expected inheritance. So yeah, it's Ooh. very much based on on the idea. So they're not like retellings, but I want to enjoy um, looking
0: at the same themes and exploring yeah. the same kind of. Ideas. Ideas that she did in her her novels. Yeah. Oh well, there's just so much pleasure in that, and I have to say, if you, for any listeners, if you don't know Jane Austen well, you will still very, very much enjoy it. You don't have to know her books inside out to get enjoyment out of it. But there is that extra layer of pleasure when you can see those little nuggets and Easter eggs and the kind of inspiration behind some of what she goes on to write. It just adds such a layer of of pleasure. Um, But so um, I have to ask. You did mention that the the 1995 um, adaptation of Pride and Prejudice was one of the starting points yes. for you of being yes. an Austen fan. Um, what are your favourite Jane Austen adaptations or retellings or yes. any kind of inspired by? So I'm not I'm not an Austen snob in
1: any sense of the world. So I when I like read a book that's inspired by Austen or if I watch an adaptation that's inspired by Austen. For me, it's not in competition with her works. Like her works are her works, and they are brilliant, and they can never be bettered. And if you want to read her works, go and read her works, or as you did, listen to them on audio. So the Juliet Stevenson's are my favourite. So good. (laughs) As my favourite way to enjoy Austin. Now, so when I'm watching or reading and inspired by Austin, I, I want to know what it is that you're trying to say about Austin. So. Yeah, I can't get enough of them. I love all of them. I love the um, Netflix Persuasion, which is very divisive. Yeah, very I love divisive. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I really love it. I really, I think it really taps into like a lot of the longing um, yeah. in that original story. And I'm so excited actually because Mia McKenna Bruce, who um, played Mary, the sister Mary mm-hmm. in that Netflix Persuasion, she's narrating my audio book.
0: <gasps> oh my god, so that's so good. Okay, I'm gonna have to get it on audio as well.
1: So I love that one. And the other one, the one that I tend to when I'm having a really, really bad day and my husband will come home and say, like, what's happened because I'll be watching it is Austin Land with JJ oh Friends and Kerry Russell. Yes. I
0: love it. It's just so it's, silly. It's wonderful. It's so silly and very yeah. adorable, isn't yeah. Yeah. it? Yeah, it's so silly. It's, um, yeah, and it's got a fantastic cast. It's incredible. Jennifer Coolidge at her best. Yeah. She, she is, is absolutely brilliant. peak Jennifer yeah. Coolidge. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 Oh, yeah. So very much, yes, movie. for all the it was listeners, kind of- definitely. If you have not, because a lot of people probably don't know it that well, but it is yeah. very funny and very—it's very funny and yeah, very joyful. It's yeah. very
1: funny and it takes all the Jane Austen tropes and it turns them on their heads. I just I love it. I love it. Yeah. And her her redemption arc is about accepting
0: and embracing um being a huge Jane Austen fan yeah and just there's exactly what you talk about in the novel but also what jane herself writes about this idea of snobbery around consuming anything particularly yeah. as women that yeah. we enjoy and yeah that there's something wrong with us yeah novels yeah. and novels that are fun. Yeah. Um, and that there's yeah. something wrong with enjoying reading for yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a theme that comes up in her work quite a bit. Absolutely. Um, and I really loved, like you said, that the way they played with that as yeah. well in Austin Land. But um yeah. I have because I the day after I finished your novel, I broke my foot. And um so the first it's been a couple of weeks now, but the um the first week I just couldn't concentrate on anything at all. Yeah. And so I re-listened to Northanger Abbey, and I also um uh re-watched my absolute favorite adaptation, which is the um Ang Lee version of Sense and Sensibility. It oh, was written by Emma Thompson. Oh that's incredible. I had to Yeah. Oh, it's, it's just, incredible. That is my absolute, absolute, absolute
1: I feel like we should have withheld Emma Thompson's damehood until she'd agreed to adapt all of them. I know. Them.
0: I just, I <laughs> want to, if I ever, ever in my life ever get a chance to speak to her, I'm going to sit yeah. her down and say, please, please give us all of them. Um, yeah. Maybe that's not what you want to do with your life, but we need yes. it. We deserve <laughs> it. it. We need it. We need it. Incredible script. I just can't even, there are so many moments in that film where I just, she's a genius. She is a genius. Like and she scripted the two of to them, the them together, Jane Thompson and Emma Thompson.
1: Yeah, she scripted up some of the 2005 Pride and Prejudice, but I didn't realise until recently. But apparently the whole, you know, in the 2005 Pride and Prejudice, the whole, I'm 27 years old, I've, I've no future and no prospects, so don't you dare judge me, Lizzie. Is Emma Thompson the person?
0: I mean, it is <laughs> – that does not surprise me at all because it rings very true to that sense and sensibility. Like it feels yeah. like it has yeah. a similar kind of voice. Yeah. I actually also adore that version. And, again, yeah. some people find that quite controversial, but it is really beautifully put together, I yeah. think. There's enough really room beautiful. in my life for both. Like, yeah.
1: yeah. And I'm really, really sorry about your foot. And I think that, <laughs> that is a, yes. it's a recurring theme when I talk to other – Jane Austen fans it's a really recurring theme in that when you're going through a really really difficult time you can turn to Austen and there's something about her work that is just so comforting and inspiring and that's why she means so much to so many people and it's yeah yeah, it's really lovely
0: it's interesting isn't it and I I suspect it's that um I was probably a similar age when I started reading Austen. I was probably 19, 20, 21. It was around university. Yeah. I'd never been introduced to her before then. Yeah. Um, I actually didn't do any in high school. I went to school in Australia. I didn't do any English, Victorian, or Regency novels at all in my um, schooling at all. Yeah. So I didn't do any of the Brontes or anything like that. I don't know why. They were on the list. Other people I know at different schools did them, yeah. but, but but we just didn't do any. Um and so in some ways I'm very grateful because I came yeah. to them myself. I, in my in my early twenties came to a lot of um of 19th century literature like Wilkie Collins and mm-hmm. um and and the Bronte's and Austin and mm-hmm. and you know and Dickens all kind of on my own and in a way wow. like so nice to be able yeah. to discover them myself without yeah. any kind of memories of like miserable classrooms or anything attached to them. <laughs> but um but I think for me what I love about it is is this idea of you know when whenever i feel like i might be having a hard time i just have yeah. to put myself in the shoes of a woman in 1803 and yeah. the kind of hard time she might have been happening to yeah. almost help me understand i guess the thread that one runs through women's lives about the kind of challenges they face, and we're not alone. You know, this yeah. is these are things that have been happening throughout history, that are yeah. always really, really challenging, that are universal, um, that haven't gone gone away, even though our lives have become much, much easier than they yeah. um, they were for them. Um, and in some ways, I find that, and also, of course, her wit and her humor and yeah. her observation, you know, extremely importantly. But yeah, I think for possibly for those reasons, I find her work. I can come back to it and come back to it and see different things in it every time. Absolutely, absolutely. I think she takes her characters
1: to the edge, to the brink of ruin, and yeah. then she always pulls it back. But, you know, you get that cathartic rage at the yeah. treatment of women, and then balanced with the wonderful humour. She's just so, so, so incredibly funny. Like, I'm so always funny. bursting out yeah. laughing when I read it. And I never studied her either, which I think worked out really well for me
0: because I might have got her out of my system yeah. <laughs> and
1: stopped like obsessing.
0: Um, but yeah, so. yeah, I do know. And this is no no shade on any English teachers who are listening, because there are fantastic English teachers who are very good at still inspiring their students with the literature they provide. But sometimes, let's just say, especially when there's exams involved, it can <sighs> take some of the fun out of it. So no, I was very grateful that I got to discover this. Um, all on my own, but um, oh, Jess, it's been just such a pleasure to chat about your novel, Miss Austen Investigates, um, and also Jane Austen. It's been such a pleasure. Um, the book is out on twenty fifth of January. Great, right. so it, so it will be out in the UK when mm-hmm. this episode airs. Everyone, just do yourself a favor and just indulge. It is so joyful, and I am going to download the audio once it comes out too because <laughs> this is this seems to me like the perfect book for an audio as well i can't oh, Penny, thank you so much thank you so much for being with me and chatting with me today